So, on Monday, I was power raking my yard. And by power rake, I mean my biceps, not the machine from A1. Uh, I also mean like a very small yard. Like, it took me an hour to rake the whole thing. And so as I was doing that, how's that for a good sound? Should I just do that the whole service? I get closer. <laughs> it says, power rake in my yard Monday afternoon. Right, it was 85 degrees. It was beautiful out. It was probably about 2.30 or so. About halfway through, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Like, why am I power raking my yard? Like, no one's paying me to power rake my yard. No one put a gun to my head and told me I had to power rake my yard. Uh, my wife's not the type that would say, like, get out there and power rake the yard. Like, why am I doing this? And especially when I started thinking about all the other things I could be doing. Like, a five-year-old who's running amok around me, and he would love for me to jump on a longboard with him or something. And my two other kids that will be walking home from school in just a little bit, and they love it when you meet them there and walk home with them. Uh, there's a couple good books I'd love to be reading inside. There's a bonsai tree I'd love to replant. There's a very trivial thing called the NFL draft coming up on Thursday, and I know there's information out there somewhere that I haven't read yet. I could be doing lots of other things. Why then am I power raking my yard? And in the midst of like 85 degrees in April, I lost my train of thought and didn't really pick it back up until Tuesday morning as I was kind of polishing and finishing my thoughts. Polishing is for you to judge. Finishing is uh, maybe the best way to say it. Finishing my thoughts for this morning that I kind of picked uh, line of thinking up again and went, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think I power rake my yard for the very reason that we're talking about in this series. Because I'm a man who understands that his past is his future. Right? Like, you power rake your yard, right? Because of what you want your grass to look and feel like a couple months from now. Now, that's very trivial. And I wish that I was better at investing it in other aspects of my life. So, if you weren't with us last week, we started the series uh, that we're calling Back to Your Future. And, and really, that's what we're exploring, is this principle that would say that, that, that your past is your future. And really, what we're doing is studying the book of Proverbs, which is this brilliant book in the Old Testament, full of all these nuggets of wisdom and truth, not so much promises as they are just observations and wisdom. Uh, and, and what Proverbs essentially says, like if to, to, at the risk of oversimplifying Proverbs, is that all your little tiny decisions, they matter. And that every little decision you make, even the insignificant ones, even the seemingly trivial ones, they add up to your future. And so what we said is we're going to jump into a series where we just talk about our decisions and the tiny decisions and wisdom and, and under the recognition that your, your past is your future. In fact, the, the challenge I gave you last week was to, to read Proverbs like one chapter a day because right? there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs and it takes you about two minutes to read a chapter. And if you do that every month, then you've read the book of Proverbs 12 times a year. Anybody have any luck reading Proverbs last week? I feel great about myself. Good job. <laughs> I, honestly, though, like, I feel like if, if the only thing that comes from this series is that, that we're a people who take the book of Proverbs seriously and embrace its wisdom and truth, like, it'll have been a series well worth our time. Because I think a person, Billy Graham's one of them, who's read the book of Proverbs uh, every day, every month, every year for 30-some years. And so I continue to encourage you and challenge you along those lines. The, the principle is simply this, that, that the decisions you make, they become your future. And I think that we see that all over our lives. Like, some of you, you're in a very miserable marriage. And that's not supposed to be a shaming statement, but just an honest statement. Like, you're miserable, she's miserable, you don't even like being around each other anymore. And I think if this, if this principle has any value, what it's saying to you is that, uh, because you haven't always been miserable. And those of us who aren't miserable will get to us in a second, you in a second. Uh, we kind of lose sight of that. Like marriages that end, they're not miserable all the time, all the time. 
The reason you're miserable, according to the principle anyway, is that somewhere back there, not yesterday necessarily, but months and probably years ago, you started making some decisions, and those decisions led up, uh, added up to a future, and that future is now your present. Which, to add more bad news to that whole scenario, would mean that if all that's true, that there's no single thing you can do today that'll suddenly like, solve the marriage riddle. No, ser- no sermon you can listen to, no book you can read, no principle you can embrace that to really move your marriage forward is going to take a lot of little decisions and a lot of time, and, you know, it'll be months and years. Which is why uh, those of us that have experience working with marriages, mentoring and, and counseling, like it's, it's the hardest part about that. Because uh, when you're on the other side of the table, and we, uh, when you're on the other side of the table, what you recognize is it took a lot of decisions and a lot of time to get here. But the point at which we ask for help here, what we want is a wand and a quick solution And what we lose sight of is, no, 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 it's going to take just as many decisions and just as much time to get out of here. The encouragement is you you can have a different future. Six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, it can be different. Some of you, uh, you you have a great marriage, a healthy marriage. No, no, marriage is perfect, so you you don't have to disqualify yourself right away. And again, I think the challenge of, of what Proverbs is saying is, is for you to recognize that you have a healthy marriage today because of decisions you made a while ago. Because the real risk is, if you're in a healthy marriage, you'll assume that by default it will be again in another five years. But the reality is, it won't be by default. That Where, where you're at in your marriage five years from now will also be the sum total of the decisions you're making now. And we see this a lot too, where couples, uh, they get arrogant, they get cocky, they let their guard down, and all of a sudden, right, like, oh man, something that was very good becomes very bad because our past is our future. In my little world, I probably talk about this too much and I'll stop because it only makes things worse, but uh, like anxiety for me, I think is my thorn, either that or I'm a giant sissy, I'm not sure what, but it's this real thing and it seems trivial, but it's real for me and I deal with it in the most trivial of, of ways, but the way this principle has been fleshing out for me is in those moments, I've been saying to myself, Adam, your past is your future, your past is your future, your past is your future. Like, for example, when I'm on a trail run and I'm moving deeper into the woods than I have recently, and like, if you're not a chicken like me, you'd go, it's not the woods, dude, it's called a city park. But for me, it's like, <laughs> when, you're moving, when I'm moving further away than I have, further from town and people than I've been, uh, and I, you know, if you have anxiety, you know the flush that comes with that. It's in that moment where I've been going like, Adam, your past is your future. Your past is your future. Like, you're feeling this now because of decisions you made back then. And there's nothing you can do about now because you already made those decisions. But if you don't want to feel this way five years from now, then deal with the now. Focus on the now because you can change that. And I guess the question of the series and the question we're asking of Proverbs is, well, if that's true of anxiety and if it's true of marriage, is it also true of finances? Is it true of vocation? Is it true of our heart attitudes? Is it true of our relational skills? Is it true of the way we deal with anger? Is it true of the way we deal with bitterness? Like, is it true of the way we deal with conflict? I mean, if it's true of anxiety, is it true kind of across the board? Some of you are students and maybe you're in junior high, maybe you're 17 years old, and I think if this principle has any truth to it, then, then what it would suggest is, like, for those of you students that are, like, it's healthy for you right now, and, and maybe, maybe you're one of those rare students that just is able to observe, like, wow, I'm blessed. Like, I am fortunate. My family situation is amazing. Maybe you're able to see that uh, you're loved in ways lots of your peers aren't and you have opportunities that lots of your peers don't and and you have an honest uh, self-worth in ways lots of your other peers don't. The reality of this principle would say uh, that where you're at 
has something to do with decisions you're made, but I think, quite frankly, it has a lot to more to do with decisions your parents made. That you're the recipient of their decisions. And therefore, it's easy to assume that, that your future will look just like theirs. But that's not necessarily true. Because what your life looks like at 23, what your life looks like fresh out of high school, that's going to have a lot to do, isn't it, with the decisions you're making now. That part of your future is in your hands. And maybe you're one of those students uh, who you realize that your, your home life stunk. In fact, maybe you're not a student. Maybe you're 20-some years old and you're still aware of the fact that your upbringing stunk. And you're still mad about it. And you still know that it was outside of your control. And it was. But the future, that'll be a reflection of your decisions. That's what Proverbs is saying. Like, do you know anybody who's miserable? Like, just miserable. Like, and you've known them long enough to know that they're always miserable. Like, they could win the lottery, or they could be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, or, you know, like, you kind of fill in the blank, whatever it might take, and they're just miserable. You know anybody like that? Family, friends, coworkers? See, that's the principle bearing itself out. You know what Proverbs is saying. They're miserable because of decisions they made, and there's nothing circumstances could do about it. And yet the reverse could also be true. You could handle that differently. Uh, bored at work? Like, bored with life? feel no sense of purpose, like you have a job but you hate your job and you are about 75%, 75% productive at your job because ESPN's more entertaining. Or, or you get home and, I mean, just everything you're doing is just kind of numbing the pain and maybe it's alcohol and maybe it's drugs and maybe it's golf and maybe it's TV, but you're just disengaged. Well, Proverbs would suggest that, that that's a result of decisions you made in your past. And you can get to a place where you are more engaged if, if you'll just make different decisions now. In fact, I think we can go outside of Proverbs and just kind of see this in life. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, respected by many, probably one of the greatest uh, comedians of, of our lifetime, I, I finished up his book a few weeks ago uh, called How to Steal Like an Artist. And in there he, he talks about Jerry Seinfeld and acknowledges that he's you know, been incredibly successful at staying at the top of his game for decades now. And one of the things he gets into is the fact that uh, Jerry has this routine that he's uh, like borderline, well not borderline, he's obsessive about that every day he insists of himself that he write jokes. Every day he's, he's spending a lot of time, they don't get into how much time, writing jokes, writing jokes, writing, writing jokes. And in fact, they quote him as saying that he even has a calendar and where every day that he does it, he puts an X through the date and he says, like, I dare you, like, have a routine 10, 10, 10 days and mark off 10 of those in a row and you won't want to miss it because you won't want to break that string. Now, the question is, why? Why does Jerry write jokes every day? I would suggest to you it's because he understands that the past is your future. Like, his ability to stand on the stage tomorrow and be full of comedic wit has very little to do with what he does today, does it? But if he's going to be funny six months from now, if he's going to have material two years from now, it'll be the product of embracing this reality that, like, your past is your future. And that's also true of discipline. I had a friend in Billings who started selling insurance in his mid-20s, retired at 50, and retired of, of enough means that he's now a, a full-time counselor in town, but everything's free. He means with eight, eight people a day, five days a week, everything's free, all because he's able to set himself up financially. I asked him once, like, dude, you retired at 50. How do you do that? He said, my deal was I didn't leave the office without selling a policy. Well, did he break that? I'm sure he did on occasion, but what is that? It's, it's that your past is your future. It's beginning with the end in mind. Uh, part of what we're doing in this series is spoofing off of uh, Back to the Future, because though it's funny and cheesy and old, we think it's uh, riddled with truth from Proverbs. Doc puts it this way. Our only chance to repair the present is in the past. 
at the point where the timeline skewed into this tangent. Our only chance to repair the present is in the past. And I think the question that Proverbs begs is, okay, so then is our only chance to repair the future in the present? I mean, is our only chance to repair our our marriage in the future, our relationships in the future, our vocation in the future, our addictions in the future, whatever it is we might deal with is the only chance we have the present. And that seems uh, to be the way Proverbs goes. So what we're going to do for the rest of the series is... Uh, and part of the reason why I'm encouraging you to get into Proverbs on your own is because there, there are so many different topics that the book of Proverbs brings up. I, I don't know exactly how many different categories the wisdom falls into, but a lot. And to be sure, way more than we could talk about. But what we're going to do in the rest of the series is just grab uh, some of those topics. Like, for example, next week we're going to talk about our plans and discipline and the future and goal setting and all of that. James in a few weeks is going to talk about language, and I think maybe the most dominant theme perhaps in Proverbs is how our language impacts our future. We're just going to grab some of those and and wrestle with them a bit. And this morning, the one I want to put in there, so really what we're saying is you could say it's not just your past that changes your future, it's your past blank that is your future. And you could put lots of different things in that blank. What I'd like to put in the blank this morning is who. Not Dr. Seuss, not the corny band from whenever they were. Um, like, who? Like, like the people. What if, what, what if, what if your, the people in your life really does determine your future? And in fact, Proverbs goes there, and it goes there pretty early. If you brought your Bible, I invite you to open to Proverbs chapter 1. If you'd like to use an e-device, uh, or a, you know what I'm talking about, iPhone or an Android or something. We started last week talking about like, by all means, use those. I had a wife come up to me and go, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving permission for my husband to use his iPhone. She said, because I'm so humiliated every week when he pulls it out because I think everyone's going to think he's texting and he's going, I am texting, but I'm multitasking. So if, if you want to use your phone, then... anyway. Proverbs 1.10, I'm actually going to start from the message or read from the message. Uh, Dear friend, if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. So like, time out. We're 10 verses into the first chapter, 31 chapters long, and already we're talking about the who. Uh, Dear friend, if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. If they say, let's go out and raise some hell. Let's beat up some old man, mug some old woman. Let's pick them clean and get them ready for their funerals. We'll load up on top quality loot. We'll haul it home by the truckload. Join us for the time of your life. With us, it's share and share alike. Oh friend, don't give them a second look. Don't listen to them for a minute. They're racing to a very bad end. What is Proverbs saying? Is it not saying uh, your who is your future? And we could illustrate this in some trivial ways. Like, uh, you know how many times I went camping before I met my wife? Last service, a guy went like this from the back of the room. (laughs) Yeah, right near zero. Or as Dave Ramsey would say, it sounds suspiciously like zero. Uh, You know how many times I went backpacking with my wife? I mean, this is like camping on steroids where you like put all your gear on your back and you sleep with wild animals. You know how many times I did that before I met my wife? Right near zero. Uh, you know how many times I went skiing before I met my wife? Like six or seven, and that was only because you got out of school, right? In the middle school ski trip, and I can go skiing and kind of ski horrible. And I, I never went. You know how many times I went skiing in the last couple of years? Me neither. Tons. Why? It's the who. You know who my wife's favorite football team was before we got married? The Green Bay Packers, for crying out loud. You know who it is now? Yeah, it's the Broncos, of course, because everybody who loves Jesus likes the Broncos. (laughs) More or less. 
I was raised to despise the Lakers. I mean, it's like, like, we're not Irish, but if we had like a shield, it would be in the Hushka shield. Like my grandpa, who is the sports fanatic, it skipped my dad's generation, not sure why, uh, but like he was a big Boston Celtics fan, he was a Boston Red Sox fan, he was a Larry Bird fan, he hated the Los Angeles Lakers, despised them. Like if I would have ever even suggested that I liked the later Lakers, it would have been game over. Now at 30, how old am I, 33? I don't remember, I was born in 78. Does that make me 30, 33? Um, at 33 years old, um, I've got this soft spot for the Lakers. You know why? Because I got this friend who's a stinking Lakers fan. And I'm watching the Lakers games and I'm going, I hate the Lakers. Well, no, I don't. I, I kind of like them now. I like, kind of want them to win because I want my friend to have the satisfaction of winning. This is why I refuse to have any friend who's an Oakland Raider fan. Like, it's just not, not happening because I'm not going to compromise myself in those ways. <laughs> right? Like, we could go on and on and on. But, but we see it in our own lives, our, our who is our future. And Proverbs continues. In chapter 2, uh, it says this. Uh, let me say this before we even start reading. In Proverbs, wisdom is personified. Some would suggest it's personified in Jesus. So when you talk about uh, gaining wisdom, think relationship, not just knowledge. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn in your ear to wisdom and apply in your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, it's this idea of if you will grasp to and cling and value me, this person, this relationship, thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. What is it saying? The right who will get you to a great destination. It continues in Proverbs twelve twenty six: the righteous choose their friends carefully. Why? Well, in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I love the way the message translates that uh, particular proverb. Become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, I understand there's this tension, uh, because uh, you wouldn't be a part of Narrate if you didn't have this abiding passion to not be an elitist to be the kind of person who can be really good friends with people whom you disagree with fundamentally, but to have, be really good friends with people who you don't agree with spiritually even. Please don't um, misunderstand me. In fact, another line of thinking that you could take here is what Proverbs is talking about is discernment. It's talking about counsel. It's talking about who are the people, not necessarily who you hang out with, because Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. He's asking, like, who do, whose jokes do you laugh at? Who do you admire? Who do you envy? Who do you look up to? Who gets the bulk of your time? That's what's going on here. And it's not just Proverbs that says it. Psalm 1, one of my very favorite psalms, says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Now understand that in this culture you didn't own a Bible and you didn't even own a Torah scroll. In fact, if your community owned a Torah scroll, they were a pretty well-to-do community. So this is like walking with the law has as much to do with walking with God's people as it does walking with a book or an idea. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Any house plant nerds? Plant nerds? Uh, you know that just about every plant you could own is supposed to flower or bear fruit? And yet they don't in our homes, do they? Why? Because the conditions aren't ideal. And what Proverbs is saying here is when you're walking with the right people, the conditions in your life will be ideal and your life will produce fruit like it's supposed to. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. We could go on and on and on. Uh, Jim Collins, who is a man that I talk about a lot, I think the best leadership uh, mind in the world today, not that I have much authority on that, but the guy who used to teach at Stanford and studies business from an empirical standpoint, not just from an observation standpoint, written books like uh, Good to Great and Great by Choice. Uh, he, he has some abiding, you know, some kind of observations that raise to the surf, rise to the surface in his studies. One of them is he says one of the biggest mistakes business women and businessmen make is they ask what before they ask who. He says, whether you're talking about a startup company or you're talking about should I or should I not take that job, that we always ask, what will I be doing? Like, what will the job be? What will the business be? What will the venture involve? What will we sell? He says, historically, after studying, I think it's like 7,000 years of collective business history, he says it's the wrong question every time. The right question is not what, it's who. Who will I be doing business with? Who will I be partnering with? Who will I be selling things to and with? In fact, he had a chance to flesh this out in his own life recently. Uh, in his own words, his, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And as you might imagine, in that situation, he freaked out. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he kind of lost his mind for a season. And it was his wife who stopped him and went, read your own research. You're asking the wrong question. It's not what, it's who. And she said, what we have to do is find the right doctor. We find the right physician, and the what will take care of itself. We've got to find the who, not the what. Jim Collins, uh, I love the way he says this. He says that all of us should spend some concerted energy considering uh, who is my personal board of directors. Like from an NGO, from a nonprofit, from a business standpoint, we think about boards of directors. He says, who is your personal board of directors? Who, who, who is advising you? Who is directing you? Who is influencing you? Uh, that book I referenced earlier, uh, How to Steal Like an Artist, of course, the point of that book is to inspire uh, creatives like yourselves, people who have a desire to contribute uniquely to culture and, and thus kind of get the most out of their creativity in their life. And, and I love the way he puts it. He says, because uh, he, he, he really emphasizes the who emphasizes, like, be around the right people. And then he says this, because your life will ultimately be a mashup of who you spend your time with. I love it. Like, uh, your life will be a mashup of those who in your life. Let's go to the cards. If I offended your Baptist roots, I'm sorry. I wasn't out of pure flippancy. Uh, there's actually purpose. Because uh, those of you that are, like, poker people, uh, and I know some of you, if I showed you my cards, you could tell me whether or not I should fold. In fact, some of you are so nerdy in your understanding of poker that you could start reciting percentages to me of the likelihood of my having a chance, right? Here's what I think Proverbs is saying, if we could just uh, grossly oversimplify it. I think what Proverbs is saying is, like, show, show me your who. Like, sh show, me, show me who is in your life. And, and I'll tell you where you're headed. I'll tell you where you're going to be 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Show me the who. Show me your personal board of directors, and I'll tell you where it's going. I had a great meeting with this young leader who I really admire this week, and, and he's wrestling with whether or not his life is going in the direction that he wants it to and whether or not he's following Jesus to the degree that he wants to, and he's got these really fun business leadership opportunities, and he's kind of like many of us were at 21, 22 years old, kind of going like, Dah! 
And, and only because of studying this week, I went, well, dude, I think we can simplify this. You got this 50-year-old businessman investing in you, mentoring you, teaching you, directing you, giving you these opportunities. It's real simple. Just ask yourself, like, where's he at at 50 years old? And, and if you don't want to be where he is at 50, then find a different who. Right? Like, and, and the advantage that you and I have is when you're not him, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So, so, so who, who, who's your who? Who are the people influencing you? And maybe the, the challenge, uh, the work from this week is that you take your cards home and you write them literally across the top. The great thing about cards is there's no such thing as upside down, right? And maybe you cross one side with a sharpie, you write who they are now. Who, who are the five voices? Who are the five people? Who are the people who have your ear? And then conversely, who, who, who should they be? Who would you like them to be? And can I ask you this? Would you also consider if one of them is Jesus? I'm, I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. I'm not asking you if you've raised your hand one day. I'm not asking you if you believe that the cross rescues you from your sin by grace alone. I'm not asking you if you think you'll go to heaven when you die. Is one of them Jesus? I mean, is one of the key influencers in your life Jesus of Nazareth? And I'm not asking that from a, an association standpoint, like I go to church or I'm a Christian. I'm asking it from a time standpoint. Are you reading the Gospels? Because if you're a student of his life, then we should be, right? Are, are, you, are you memorizing his word? Are you setting aside time in your day for prayer and, and just contemplation? Or are you really giving him space to influence you dynamically? To make you more than just a cultural Christian, but, but, but a disciple? Like, is Jesus one of your five? And if you're someone uh, that he's not and he never has been, it's real important to me that you would understand that God is patient and he'll, he'll continue to walk with you patiently towards making that decision. It's also important to me that you would understand that, that everyone in this room who's made the decision to make him the who would attest to you that when you make that decision to let Jesus be one of the who, when you make the decision to believe in him, uh, nothing will ever be the same again. It'll change everything. None of us, uh, many of us, wouldn't be sitting here if that weren't the case. So, so, so who's your who? I think that's one of the first things Proverbs says. You're who, it's your future. Let me pray as the band comes up here and we'll sing and get out of here. God, like so many of the things we talk about, this would fall under the banner of intellectually easy, difficult to flesh out. And all the more, God, for us, because uh, we're so passionate about being a part of our community and being normal, real people and being able to have good friends with whom we disagree with spiritually and morally. But God, would you, would you create a conversation in us this week that like the degree to which we're crying out to, to grow and be different and change, that you would connect that back to, to who the people in our life are. God, I pray particularly for people who are new to following you. Would you give them wisdom and courage uh, to, to stack the deck a little bit with, with some great who's to, to change the influence and the direction in their life relationally. God, every one of us here uh, could very quickly start naming names of people and that's, that's why we're here. And so would you give us uh, the courage to be that for others? We love you, Jesus. Amen.